Hello and welcome to The Leaderverse with your hosts, Drew Lee, Lucas Sheradin, and me, Jesse Button. I'm so excited to jump into today's conversation. Lucas is the perfect person to talk about this because he has been leading us and coaching us and teaching us on breaking free from our patterns in order to lead ourselves and others well. For decades now, our topic today is self-sabotage right here on The Leaderverse. Right from the back of the book, Brianna Wiest's book, The Mountain is You, she says, for centuries, the mountain has been used as a metaphor for big challenges we face, especially ones that seem impossible to overcome. To scale our mountains, we actually have to do the deep internal work of excavating trauma, building resilience, and adjusting how we show up for the climb. And so in the end, it's not the mountain we master, but ourselves. Nothing makes this more this concept more real and more understandable to me than when I talk to a great leader about it and I ask you, how has this shown up for you personally? What what advice do you have for leaders of all levels around this topic? This is such a big conversation. Uh, Rietta's book is amazing, and I wholeheartedly recommend it. And, and here, here's what I think of when we have a, any kind of belief system, and it's it kind of goes in what I'm writing my book about, uh, Uncaged Leadership, is there's two levels of issues that we have. There are, the, there are the, the issues that we're very aware that we do, and those usually we can handle. We're impatient. We get angry too easily. We get irritated because those are just triggers that we could actually spot the trigger. Is like, oh, well, I, I, I'm struggling with my temper. I'm struggling with my impatience. I, I tend to micromanage. I tend to get paralysis of analysis, whatever it is that we become aware of. It. And those are the ones that we we generally have a good at bat at mastering or at least working around or working with. Like, I'm never going to be a patient person. I just am not. I made peace with that. However, I know that sometimes I need to artificially suspend my sense of urgency, right? The fastest way in certain situations to get my end result is to slow it way down. And so I could trick my brain there. However, what I think Brianna's brilliance is, is the issues that really, really sabotage ourselves are the ones that we're not aware that we do. And yet we see the certain patterns and cycles show up over and over and over and over again. And the tendency is to say, oh, it didn't work out there. Or, oh, I never got my shot because that uh, that leader, that manager, that um, business owner didn't give me a, you know, give me the full opportunity. But it happens over and over again. It's uh, when I, I was a pastor for years and people would like church shop. And it was just like they'd come to my church and they would complain about the previous pastor and they would complain about the pastor before that previous pastor and the pastor before the previous, previous pastor. And I, I'd go home and after, at first I was like, oh my gosh, I'm the savior of the world. You know, they, they love my church and I'm the perfect pastor. Although how dare those dirty rascals, other pastors, the challenge was they brought the problem with them, you know? And so this is what I would tell everybody listening. And this is a sensitive subject because generally we're very defensive about this and we, we've developed ways to protect the very thing that sabotages our own development. I mean, we very, it's, it's the thorn in the lion's paw. It's like, we're very sensitive and we don't let anybody touch this, that we don't realize that I'm the problem in my relationships or I'm the issue here. And and while we may self-loathe and beat ourselves up, we don't let people take that thorn out of our paw. So I would encourage people, 
Number one, when you're aware of an issue, deal with it. Uh, take responsibility. Once, If I blame Jesse Button for my problems, Jesse Button now is Lord of my life, and I'm not cool with that. So own it, take responsibility. But then I would spend time reflecting and even working with professionals like, why does this specific scenario always show up? There's cycles. And why do I, I'm not seeing, it's called a blind spot because I'm completely blind and oblivious to it. I think that those are the issues that takes time to reflect, takes time to think, takes time to deal with our own stories, our own belief systems. And Jesse, that is that is the journey of life. That is the journey of leadership. It's when I could say I'm responsible for not I'm there's a difference between responsible and fault. I'm not at fault and blame for everything in my life. I am responsible for everything in my life. And therefore I'm powerful for everything in my life. I'd encourage people here that this is the journey worth taking to, to get uncaged, to genuinely be free is the, the inward journey. It, it's what Stephen Covey uh, masterfully said in his book, book, seven habits of highly effective people. It's an inside out job. It's not an outside in job. And Leaders who are unwilling to take a look inside and go on that journey inside have doomed themselves to a level of performance and achievement. And I hope you like where you are because that's where you're going to stay. All breakthroughs, and think about that. We we celebrate, we like it. I got a breakthrough. That's awesome. Here's the challenge with it. All breakthroughs imply something got broken. And usually what gets broken is a belief system and a fortification of an idea about myself that I have hung on to for all my life. And I did it because I had to protect myself at some point in my life. I heard a, um, this was all over TikTok for a little while. It was a year of therapy in 15 seconds was the title of this TikTok. And it was regarding self-sabotage. And it said basically that it gives you the illusion of control over yeah. your actual pain. And so, so the folks that are having trouble go, starting this journey, going in, inward to do the deep work and find their blind spots with a coach or other professional, that there really is something else going on that you have no idea. Right. And you're thinking, and you're thinking you're controlling the chaos and you're calming your inner self down by not going to the gym, by not having the conversation, because then I'm in control of this pain that I feel all of a sudden right. being out of control of it is the scariest part that that one blew my mind. I loved, I loved that. Well, concept. I think of it. I think that where it is it's like, it's pronounced is like interpersonal relationships. If, if you were abused by a man or you were abused by a woman and, or your first, you know, your first childhood, you know, you had a traumatic sexual molestation when you were a kid or whatever. We, I think adults do all that we can to make that okay. It's like, well, it just happened. It's no big deal. It doesn't affect me today. And yet you see that, man, I can't have a relationship with another person. I, all women are manipulative or I'm transactional in my relationships. And it's just a, just an interchange or I have to become an abuser or I have to become uh, I have to become an avoider. I, I, whatever it is, it's like that's all because something happened at some point, and you developed a way to cope with it and deal with it. And I, and I'm not, I'm not a psychologist or a therapist, but I have a lot of friends who are, and I've got a kid that is. 
I've, I could spend a lifetime studying this. And honestly, Jesse, when I first was introduced to this, I'm like, oh gosh, what an airy fairy stuff. It's like, tell me about your mother and lay on my couch. And, and did you breastfeed long enough? It was like, oh, come on, give me a break. I need to go out and do stuff. That's a trap. Because sometimes in our doing stuff, we ignore the real issues that keep us trapped. And honestly, sometimes, this is the scary part, sometimes our woundedness and the way we learned how to cope with it in an unhealthy way actually now becomes the tools I use to succeed in my current reality. Like, for instance, somebody who got rejected as a child and hated it and is scared of it and spent you know time crying and pain and well, that person could grow up to be an amazing salesperson because they're so afraid of rejection. Nobody ever rejects them. They don't let people reject them. Well, if you start to deal with that, you may have to unwind how you've succeeded to this point and rewire yourself. <laughs> That's scary. It's scary. It is. It is. And it's not, and it's never easy work, but I don't want people, I want people to realize that you don't have to have anything, uh, any major trauma happen to you. And you don't have to necessarily seek those out. If you did, I'm so sorry. And yes, you should, you need to go through a deal with those things, but it's, it could also be, you could be self-sabotaging yourself in a way. I could be self-sabotaging myself in a way. If I grew up in a sports household with lots of siblings and it was really, really competitive and it was all healthy and it was all good. But if I know that um, if I associate winning a competition with how I get attention from my parents, mm-hmm. then that's, right. that's going to set you up for 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 being a competitive, hard charging type person. And that is the thing that's going to motivate you more than anything else in the world. And it's not anything bad that happened to you. It was a, you might have had a very healthy childhood. but And so- the other thing that's like even in listening to that is, well, it was healthy. Really? Right. Maybe and maybe it wasn't because here, here's what I found out about trauma, trauma and those kind of events, trauma to one person isn't trauma to another person. Like um, I, I watched a, a Netflix documentary on, on Arnold Schwarzenegger and fascinating. And I'm fascinated by the, you know, Arnold and I know he's had his issues and I know there's stuff that he did that shouldn't have been done. And I get that, but he has accomplished, he's done a, a good amount in his life. What's interesting is his father was a police officer and was very abusive and very hard on the kids, made everything a competition so they never were good enough. His that's That became the fuel for Arnold's life. Like he was always chasing, but it also became the very thing that caused his older brother to commit suicide. The same events, two different responses, mm-hmm. dramatically different responses. So- just because other people say, yeah, I had that too. And it was no big deal. Doesn't mean it might've been a big deal to you. I, I don't know. Maybe you're whatever it was, maybe you had a business deal go bad. Maybe you got screwed, which that's just part of being in business is it's going to happen from time to time where you feel like you got screwed. The other perspective, the the other party's perspective is like, they feel like they're within the rights to do whatever that they did. Mm-hmm. If it if it is something that is affecting your behavior and your mindset today, it may be worth investigating. Oh yeah, I I think the question for me would be: if you're starting this introspection journey, think back to your to how you grew up. Think back to your family dynamics, and where do you see what you learned back then showing up in how you lead people today and lead yourself today? That's that's really the question. I think about it. Um, I had a 
I, my parents were entrepreneurs. Not every business was successful. And so sometimes they had other jobs too. Our house would be described as a loving, busy household growing up. And um, I think from that, that's where I learned, you talk about this all the time, Lucas, hustle culture. Yeah. I, I learned that in order to be satiated, happy, safe, comfortable, everything is going, like I have a sense of, um, I have a sense of peace and excitement yeah. about my, about my life if I'm busy. <laughs> if well, I mean, we, we bought into a hook, line, and sinker. We bought into don't stand there, just do something, right? However, there are times in the human experience, really, don't just do something, stand there. Think, be still, right? And so I, I just, this whole area is fascinating and it's a journey. And um, in fact, I've got a whole story model. If anybody listening wants to get that, the story model, how we develop stories and a tool to break the stories, just uh, text the word uncaged, text the word uncaged to 33777 and I'll email it to you. However, when you understand how we create a reality that we could break those habits if we understand we have a story going on and we could rewrite the story that serves us. And the stories I'm aware that, you know, Colin O'Brady said it really well. You are the stories that you tell yourself. Everything's a story. And how we're encountering this podcast is a story. How I'm encountering traffic that I'm uh, navigating as I listen to this podcast is a story. How I feel about work or my marriage or my kids is a story. And this is what I would say, if it's serving you, keep your story, don't challenge it. But if you find out that it's no longer serving you, maybe ask yourself a simple question. It's the five o'clock formula that the model that, I, that I've just offered to everybody. The five o'clock formula just simply asks, interrupts and says, what else could it be? All men are jerks. Awesome. Great. Well, what else could it be? I never could get ahead. Awesome. I get it. And that the evidence would support that. What else could it be? Uh, I'm not good enough. I, I, I deal with that a lot. It's like, I'm not good enough to recruit. I'm not good enough to I command attention on a big stage speaking, public speaking. A lot of people I'm talking to right now really aspire to be TEDx talk, you know, give TED talks and give keynotes. And they have to deal with, well, maybe I'm not good enough. Yeah, maybe you're right. What else could it be? Maybe people just don't know about you. Maybe you are uh, the imposter. I think Drew talked about it last week, the imposter syndrome. It's like, well, I'm never an imposter at being a beginner. I'm just a beginner. Well, what else could it be? Well, I'm I'm just a beginner. I'm not an imposter. So finding ways to interrupt the story and just say, well, you're probably right because our minds need to be right. You're probably right. And it's probably accurate. What else could it be? Because once I created, jump into what else could it be, then I could be a creator. And that I think that's our ultimate expression of our human experiences when I create whatever realities I choose to create. Mm-hmm. That Oh, that's so good the in becoming a creator we all are yeah we're doing it right now so if i'm telling myself this story all men are dogs yeah. uh, i think it's steve harvey that says that you're gonna meet every last one of them but it's so <laughs> it's so true like whatever it is that we are telling ourselves we are creating our own reality but also our and our futures in our futures if i am it's about expectation there if i am expecting this next date that I go on for him to be a dog, he's going to, because my brain, the meaning making machine that it is, is going to look for the things I'm telling it to look for. Right. So How, yeah, well, I'm going to meet it, every last one of them. I keep saying right. that. Well, it's true. And honestly, you may meet every last one of them and you may meet some that aren't dogs, but because you have glasses on that say all men are dogs, you're going to find the dog in every guy. Yeah. If, if all business is crap, 
guess what? It's because I've got the lens that says crap and I'm going to find the crap in all businesses. And uh, that's, that's the thing is, is how I see life. It is. And so if I think that there's, you know, I, um, my wife had uh, her grandma um, suffered the great depression and um, they had a farm and they lost everything in the Kansas city floods, like literally lost everything. Well, when she's, you know, 67 years old, she's taking napkins and stuffing them into drawers because that's what we did apparently in the great depression is that paper products weren't in abundance. So you, you, you stored napkins from McDonald's. You did Right. Well, that was her reality. Um, my in-laws, and it's funny, they live out in the boonies, but they still lock the doors whenever they're home. It's like, there is nobody out in the boonies that's going to come and hurt you. And yet, because they grew up in an urban part of, you know, a, of a major city, you lock doors. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it, it, and by the way, it would be futile for me to tell me not, tell them not to do it because it's just the glasses they see. And unless we want to deal with the glasses that we see life through mm -hmm. we don't have a shot at changing and so that's why I, I i'm shouting on a mountaintop right now behavior modification has severe limitations right i can't tell somebody who's scared of rejection just go make more calls i have to help them for a while i could get formal compliance but in that time of formal compliance if i don't deal with the root issue i'm going to burn them out and so i have to help them understand how how do you need to see the world so you're powerful not disempowered Mm -hmm. I wasn't planning on asking you this, but I'm just curious. I've noticed the same thing. There are a lot of people in our circles on a speaking, on a speaking journey Yeah. Um, to become speakers. Why, why do you think that is? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> okay. Now we're going to go yeah. to Lucas's stories because it's the story we create about what, what speakings looks like, like, right. It's like, I stand on a stage. Like I just was on a, a pretty good sized stage last month. And yeah, you know, I, I think there are, 3000 people in the audience and the lights and everything else. And, you know, the person that are, please welcome to the stage, Lucas Sheradden, you know, that's a cool experience. And you have 20 minutes, 30 minutes of delivering something and the audience feels something. And you have like, as a speaker, as somebody who does keynote speaks, there's a dance, there's a, a relationship you develop with the audience. And if it, when, when you feel like you have it in my world, there's nothing better than, then like, okay, I'm the audience is all with me. Nobody in this room is moving. They're all right here. And I'm making a difference. I am making an impact. They're good. That's a buzz. That's that that feels like I'm significant. That feels like what's the meaning I've attached to speaking. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes, like for us speakers, I know a lot of speakers and and I could go there too that love the crowds but really don't like people. Mm. and uh -huh. as we have to be really careful that we're not using a stage to hide right i remember one time i i said uh i i taught for a major organization and um and i was uh, there was a memory on, on social media that came up and said hey you know two years ago you were doing this and i was in the training room of this major organization talking to a couple hundred people and um and I, I honestly, I kind of miss those days. I, it's like, there are moments that I was like, oh, wow, I miss those days. And I remember texting Ben Kenny, my friend, and uh, my, one of my mentors right now. And I texted him a picture that says, not going to lie. I, I kind of miss those days. He goes, what do you miss? I said, I was making, I felt like I was making such an impact. He goes, you weren't. I go, excuse me. He goes, I have spoken. And this was really, 
really, really brilliant. He said, I have spoken to hundreds of thousands. Ben was saying this. I've spoken to hundreds of thousands of people only to come back to the next year. And they're living the same crummy lives they were living when I spoke to them. And they said everything changed. He said, real life transformation usually happens one-on-one. He says, what you're doing now actually makes a deeper impact because you're in, you actually have an at-bat to impact lives long-term. And while I still speak a lot, I understand that if I really want to be transformative in my leadership style, speaking is lead generation for maybe somebody that I can actually impact one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Like I, there, there have been very few, a handful of speeches and public talks in all of history that have been spoken and forever impacted the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. More, more speeches and more talks and more keynote speeches have been forgotten within a couple of weeks of them being given. But I think of the people in my life that got into my life one-on-one and really challenged me and courageously confronted me and believed in me and encouraged me and gave me opportunities when I probably didn't deserve them. I think of Al Metzger. I think of Ben Kinney. I think of Gary Keller. I think of the different leaders, right, that gave me in that bat. Oh, my gosh, those guys changed my life forever. And nobody will ever take that impact away from me. But I can't remember one talk that Al Metzger gave. I can't, honestly, I, I, Gary Keller wrote some books, but I can't remember one of his speeches, right? It's like, I have to understand that as a public speaker, and as a public teacher, I need to be careful that my ego is not leading the way, that I have a high need to get the applause, and that I'm not hiding because I don't want to get into the lives of people. Mm-hmm. I, I was going to ask you more about that. You're not hiding. So- how would I, as a speaker, and let's say I have the, I have a great message X, Y, Z. And how would I, what do you mean by that? How do I hide as a speaker on stage? Sure. Like, like I'm on stage and I could be a social butterfly. I could say hi to everybody and interact with everybody, but no one knows me. And I know no one. That's not intimacy. Intimacy actually is into me. See, right. It's like I, I, the closer I get to somebody like, I'm with John Maxwell when he says, I want the people who know me the best to respect me the most. It's one thing for a crowd to respect me, but they don't know me. They they get me for 20 minutes. They hear some stories that, that have impacted my life. They may cry, they may laugh with me, and they feel connected to me, and I'm glad for that. But the truth is, I know you better. And actually, my employee that I met with today, she knows me better. I know her better. I know what scares her. Um, my daughter, who's on my sales team, who is you know, scared out of her mind at certain things. I know her and she sees how I show up on the day in and the day out, right? And so I think that sometimes somebody could buzz in, get introduced, get on a stage, take their pictures for social media, get their five minutes of interaction with a human being and hide. Nobody knows them and they don't know anybody. They give the same anecdotes. They give the same uh, platitudes. They give the same scripts that they give to everybody. And I don't really get into the nitty gritty of life. And, you know, disciples aren't made just from the stage. They're also made on one-on-one conversations. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. I I agree with Ben, long lasting impact is usually in partnerships. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's when somebody sees me and knows me and believes in me and challenges me. I don't want to be that speaker that doesn't know anybody that doesn't have any friends that doesn't you know, that has to develop such a persona that my image is more important than my reality. <laughs> I get that. So it's very tempting just learning this now about a, a piece of self-sabotage and getting yourself out of the stuckness of it. Um, one method is to play a character. You 
if you can't do the thing that you so desperately need to and or want to do, play a character who does is the is the method or the model. And that yeah. works like like you said, forced compliance, I think, for a little while. But there's if your intuition is still screaming at you, if I think if you're still scared to do the thing after months of doing the thing. Maybe is th- is that a sign that this is not for you? Yeah. Then I think <laughs> I, I'm, I don't know about scared because sometimes uh, there's parts of my life and business, and I think every part leader, if they're being honest, they're scared out of their mind of of you know recruiting somebody that's massively talented. I I just recruited somebody into my world and my sales team who she's better than I ever will dream of being at real estate sales. She's she's just amazing, and yet now she's partnered with me on my team. Well, guess what? That's a little scary, if I'm being honest. And yet what that does is I could take that scared and be the boss and push her at arm's length and say, we're going to do it my way. I'm the expert or be very humble and hungry and learn how to stay one step ahead of her and, and be a leader. Because that's all leadership is required is just one step ahead of the people that you're following. You don't have to, you know, puffery. You don't have to get into egotistical stuff, right? Sure. But at some point she's going to get to know me and she's going to know that in real estate sales, she's better than I am. So what part do I play in the partnership? What part does she play in it? And and so I th- I think that we have to be just really really authentic. And I I do I like the definition more and more I think about it. I, I like the definition that I read in uh, True North, uh, the book True North that said authenticity is self awareness plus self acceptance. Like once I'm aware that this is who I am, and once I stop beating myself up and accept the way that that this is the way that I am. And I know I've accepted it when I don't have to defend it because anytime somebody says, well, that's just me, you better take it or leave it. Well, I know you're not accepting yourself because there's there's energy and a charge behind that that's not self-accepting. Mm-hmm. That once I know who I am and accept who I am and I'm not defensive about it, then I could be authentic. So if I could show up authentically and then lead from that center and make a decision that I'm going to grow and expand and as stuff, life is the teacher, right? Life is going to throw you an instance that you have to face yourself. And I can either defend myself, ignore myself, or I need to dive into this because this is not this is not helping the people I love nor myself. I love it. I'm not stuck. I'm not stuck anymore. For as much as I'm talking about it, I think I've learned I think I've learned enough about self sabotage. I get it. I can take action. Well, I think it's a it's like it's like layers of the onion. You're you're not stuck in certain areas now. You probably are stuck in areas that you're re- not ready to face right now. And life's going to show up, and, and that's why it's like I don't have to be impatient with the process. Is life's going to show up at the right time, with the right situation, the right circumstances, and I'm going to be the right student, and the teacher's going to show up, and I'm going to learn and get better. And it's just one percent, you know. It's the whole idea of get better one percent every day. I don't have to get better a hundred percent. So there are things in my leadership I don't do well. There's the, there's ceilings on my achievement, and that it's like, oh man, I keep bumping up this thing, and quit blaming everybody else's circumstances. It's like, I this happens too much. How do I get one percent better? How do I become less emotional? How do I become less withdrawn? How do I become less avoidant? Whatever it is. How do I just get 1% better and use this situation to get a little bit better and to become more self-aware? Talk about it a lot. Self-awareness. Oh, I, 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 I think self, there is no emotional intelligence or uncaged leadership without self-awareness. And, and anybody who's listening to this says, you don't understand. I'm really self-aware. Like, yeah, you kind of just proved that you're not. Right. Because you triggered for some reason. Right. 
every time I'm defensive, this is this is the thing. Anytime we're defensive, that should be a key to know that we need to deal with something. <laughs> if somebody says something and I'm like, no, that's not true. Hmm, what part inside of you got charged out of that, got an emotional charge out of that? Because that's probably an area you could grow. So defensiveness yeah. is now a trigger for self-growth. Good. The uh, the brain can't, if there's one thing it can't do while it's defending itself. And whether you're defending yourself emotionally, your personality, your your behaviors and actions, or you're defending yourself um, like from the big scary tiger, your brain doesn't know the difference. When your brain is defending itself, it can't listen. It can't right. process any other information. It thinks you're fighting a tiger. When you're just defending a behavior or personality, it thinks you're defending a tiger. So it's not listening to nothing. That's a very powerful clue for, yeah, defensiveness. If you catch yourself being defensive. Woo. Yeah. And, and right. just, I'd step away, take a breath and say, okay, what's the lesson for me other than my wife doesn't understand me or that employee's a jerk or they're just letting me down or I can't find a good agent or I, I'm a terrible recruiter, whatever that nonsense is on the outside. Step back and say, what part of me is scared? What part of me needs attention? What part of me needs healed? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's the, you said life being the great teacher, it's a mirror in a way too. When you're, when you do feel those super negative emotions about yourself, when you're defending yourself, that is typically- that is life showing you yeah. what you don't like about yourself when you see it in another person. That's how it works. Yeah. I have more to be introspective about. Thank you. Well, and, and that's Thank the you. thing is in the midst of our journey, introspective introspection is needed. It's just don't stay in the state of navel gazing. It's mm -hmm. because we still have to move. We still have to work. We still have to like, we still have now situations but I would spend, you know, Keith Cunningham did it really well. Spend time thinking, book it, put it on your calendar. 6.30 to 7 o'clock in the morning. All you're going to do is sit and think. You're going to put your phone away. You're going to take your journal out. You're going to start writing. What What are you thinking about? And your thoughts usually are going to lead you down certain paths that may be worthy of, of your consideration. 90% of our thoughts are the same every single day. <laughs> yeah. Does that freak you boring. out? Yeah, that they're nauseating. Me out. We're so boring. It, it just really is. It's like, oh, what am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? Which way am I going to go? Who am I going to talk to? What am I going to do? And it's just like, it really is nauseatingly boring. And spend time thinking, like, why do I keep repeating this stuff? Because it's probably safe for you to think that way. It's something you can control. And if that works for you, cool. If that doesn't, if you want something different, make a different decision. Mm hmm. Mm.